Hey, I'm Steve Mason. On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, Sue Kalinske and I talk about the Oscar nominations. How did we feel about each of the 10 Best Picture nominees, plus snubs and surprises? Then we are joined by Top Chef winner Jeremy Ford and Iron Chef winner Justin Sutherland, who are the stars of the show Fast Foodies on True TV. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify. One easy way to do that is to go to stevemason.com and just click on one button. And please, after listening, leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob and Ronnie. Accident or injury, call Jacob and Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinske. Sue Baloo, what's going on? Same old thing, Stevie. Just, uh, you know, working, not working, golfing, not golfing. Yeah, the usual, the usual. The usual. Well, now, are you excited about today's guest? Because one is a Top Chef champion, and you worked on that show? Yes, I'm very excited. Because, you know, I didn't really get to talk to a lot of the chefs, uh, because I worked in post. So I didn't spend a lot of time with them. Right. Well, this will be cool then. This will be yeah. cool. And an Iron Chef winner. I've never seen the Iron Chef. Have you? Yes, I have. To describe I, that. Um, it's it's like heightened um, competition because it's a Japanese show. Okay. So it's in this like really like how could I describe it? It's like being in some like futuristic kitchen. Oh, really? And the way they shoot it, it's like just the, the, the competition is very exaggerated. So it's with, super intense. It's super intense. And um, I actually, a, a, a friend of mine's son um, competed on it. And oh, yeah. Won. yeah. And won. And nice. won. Yeah. Nice. Well, we will get to cooking coming up. Um, by the way, as if, if you don't know, um, and this will come out a few weeks after the Super Bowl or a couple weeks after the Super Bowl, but I am so geared up for Sunday. It's the Wednesday before the Super Bowl. I am so nervous. I am so worked up. I'm so excited. I just cannot wait for it. You know what I just noticed? You're not wearing a ball cap. And yes. are you not wearing a ball cap because these two guys have won competitions? <laughs> <laughs> You said you wouldn't wear a ball cap if anyone was ever nominated or won an award. Yep, that's exactly why I'm not wearing a ball cap. You you <laughs> caught me, Sue. You caught me. So the Oscar nominations have come out. And, you know, we've, we follow this stuff really closely. I explained on the air yesterday that I have seen nine of the ten nominees. How many have you seen? I have seen one, two, three, four, five, five. Five. No, what? No, no, I'm sorry. I've seen seven of them. Seven. That's yes. really good. Yeah. Um, the average person has seen. Don't look up. That's it. <laughs> okay. I didn't see Belfast, which uh, you're very well well aware of. But it's on your best list for the year. But it's even uh, it's, though yeah. you haven't seen it. Yeah. Yes, it was on my list, and um, I didn't see Dune. Dune is. I think that's a bunch of gobbledygook. I just think it's a bunch of like. I don't know, different world, gobbledygook, don't understand what's happening, all that kind of stuff. So, Dune, the two on the list that I don't really care for mm-hmm. are uh, Dune and The Power of the Dog. And The Power of the Dog got more nominations than anything. I just didn't get it. Uh, what didn't you get? Like, you didn't get, like, why they, like, even did the movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't get why they did this movie. No, I didn't get why, where the drama or the tension in it was. Well, you know, it felt like. It felt, felt like a travelogue. In- this is what Montana looked like in the early 20th century. It felt like there were a lot of false, like, like, like you kept on waiting and waiting and waiting for something 
to happen. And every time you thought it was going to happen, it was like, ugh. it's like, you know, it's like you're, you're trying to sneeze and like the sneeze just doesn't <laughs> come out. You know what I mean? It just felt like, but in light of that, it was a beautifully shot movie. Oh, so it looked I know great. I, I really, I, I mean, I really think the cinematographer, the woman who was the cinematographer on it, I think she's going to win. Um, and, uh, and I think and I probably think the Jane Campion. I think Jen Campion's going to win. I think she's going to win also. For best and, director. And the performances were great. I mean, Kristen Dunst has a, uh, you know, I think she may win. Yeah. I just didn't get, I just didn't get it. I had to explain it to my mom and not stepdad Leo. They, they were completely lost. All right. So you didn't understand it. And then you explained it to them. So how did you explain it? Exactly. Well, I didn't, I understood the plot points and I understood, I just didn't get the dramatic tension in it. So it's not that I didn't understand it. It's just that I didn't get it. If you know what I mean? No, I, I, yeah. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, which I of these, it. which of these movies are your top three of the, of the best picture nominees, Belfast, Coda, don't look up, drive my car, Dune, King Richard, licorice pizza, nightmare alley, power of the dog, West side story. Um, I have Coda Belfast, of course, <laughs> <laughs> that you still haven't seen. And um, West side story. And West side story. I am going Coda. West Side Story, and uh, I'm going to go Licorice Pizza. Really? I loved Licorice Pizza. Yeah, I think it, was, it is it so fun. much. I it think it's sweet. so much fun. Um, and a close fourth would, would be uh, Nightmare Alley, which is great. Yes. Guillermo del Toro, and it's really dark. And that last scene with Bradley Cooper is so creepy and weird. And yeah, I, I love that movie. Uh, the two I don't really get, I don't get Dune and I don't get Power of the Dog. And then I haven't seen Drive My Car, yes. which is a Japanese film, which I intend to see this week. Okay. It's, it, my, my hesitation is, it's okay. So this is my understanding of it. It's a guy who's a passenger in a car and he's being driven by this woman and his wife has died and uh, it lasts two hours and 59 minutes. Oh, wow. So yeah. it's my dinner with Andre in the car. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, you know, the one thing I wanted to point out was for best actor, Denzel Washington was nominated for tragedy of Macbeth, which I haven't had a chance to watch yet, but that is his 10th. Oscar nomination, okay. 10 Oscar nominations for Denzel. Okay. Now I don't know if you're aware of this, but Ethan Cohn wrote a faux review about the movie. About his movie. No, no. It was about Joel's movie. His oh, Joel Cohn did. Macbeth? This is the first time that they've decided to do, you know, go their separate ways yep. and, and do something solo. So he wrote a review of the movie and it is hysterically scathing. <laughs> so I just have to read you just a tiny bit. Okay, of it yeah, do it. It is so damn funny. So he says in the tragedy of Macbeth, longtime Hollywood presence, Joel Cohn, who has 18 prior films to his credit, takes solo credit, uh, sole control of a project for the first time. The result is not unlike the tale of Macbeth itself. <laughs> Is a tragedy of epic proportions, more like Mac Bleth. <laughs> and then he writes, despite my prior association with Mr. Cohn, I feel that I am entirely capable of reviewing his work in a fair and objective way. And then he goes on to say that Macbeth is Joel Cohn's shittiest movie by several billion light years. <laughs> if all the elephants in all the world crapped in the same canyon for a hundred years, you would still not have a pile of shit half as large as Joel Cohn's dumbass dog dick rendering of this classic tale. And then I just that have to read one awesome. other thing. Yeah. One other thing that's so funny. So he says, Mr. Cohn's obvious hackery drags the act actors down. One would think that Frances McDormand might deliver the performance of a lifetime, considering that she, much like Lady Macbeth, is married to a deceitful loser who can only get ahead by cheating. And then he says, and yet McDormand, is far from her best. She's been excellent before. She was great in Fargo, outstanding uh, in the ones where she sits in a bucket 
and brilliant last Thanksgiving <laughs> and we were playing Cranium and she and I got all the star performers. Um, one can only assume that she was dragged down by the oppressive weight of being married to a man whom all the kids used to call saggy bottom Joel because of all the time he, he got diarrhea on the monkey bars. That is so friggin' funny. So a friend of mine um, posted it on Facebook and yeah. somebody actually asked, is that real? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that is funny. That yeah. is so funny. Yes. Um, scan down a little bit. Uh, best actor in a leading role. OK, best actor in a leading Javier role. Bardem, Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew okay. Garfield, Will Smith. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got yeah. it. Um, I think Will Smith. Yeah, me too. I, I think this is Will Smith's uh, performance of his career. I think Will Smith, and unfortunately for um, Andrew Garfield, you know, he just got nominated. The year Will Smith. <laughs> the year got Will nominated, Smith got yeah. nominated because Andrew I Garfield thought he is was. A, he's a he was amazing. He was amazing in that. Uh, all right, so best actress uh, in a leading role. This is yeah. actually. A toss-up. It is a toss-up, and and I, I actually I didn't see Jessica Chastain in the eyes of Tammy I, Faye. I saw I, her. She's I heard very she, good. I heard she's great, and I haven't seen Parallel Mothers. Yeah, I have not seen it either. That's but the Almodovar I, film starring Penelope Cruz. Right. So I'm going with Olivia Coleman. I mean, I just don't know how how she doesn't get this award. She is so amazing in it. And Olivia Coleman for Lost Daughter. I'm going Nicole Kidman for being the Ricardos. I totally bought that movie completely. Hmm. Um, I thought she was great. Uh, I think she, let's see, she's won one. This would be her second. Um, I, I like Nicole Kidman a lot. Now, I haven't seen, I'm going to go see Parallel Mothers also, which is playing at my local art house. So I, I want to see exactly what I'm missing there because I do love Penelope Cruz. Yes, and I have to say, this is the category where I thought Lady Gaga was was completely snubbed. She was snubbed. She was so good. Now, however you thought about the movie, a lot of people thought it was hokey and campy. And, I thought it was hokey you know, and campy. But she was phenomenal in it. And I cannot believe that Kristen Stewart was nominated in lieu of her. Because that movie was, that was, that was a tough movie for me. And I just don't see how Kristen Stewart gets nominated. For yeah, that. I don't either. I don't either. Plus, she's always in a bad mood. Have you noticed that about Kristen? She, she yeah, always, no was, matter when you look at her. Which was kind of perfect for this role because oh, yeah, it, I it mean, documented the time in, in, in Diana's life where she was always in a bad mood. Yeah, I mean, this is but, art imitates life. I mean, Kristen Stewart, always in a bad mood. Diana, in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> so I, is it acting? <laughs> she's actually just if you're always in herself, a bad mood if you're always in a bad mood <laughs> i guess probably when they were thinking of who should play this it's like well we have to play the actress who's always in a bad <laughs> who's mood who's always in a bad mood let's get kristen stewart she's perfect uh all right so actor in a supporting role troy kotzer uh coda jesse plemons power of the dog jk simmons being the ricardos cody smith mcphee the power of the dog oh and and sierra hines belfast this is a tough category, and I and I also believe that Jared Leto was was. I thought Jared Leto was terrible in that movie. Oh, I terribly didn't. hokey. The makeup did all the work <laughs> for me. I mean, if you put that much makeup on your face and you become completely unrecognizable, that's not acting. That's just that's just make. It's like somebody on Star in in Star Trek with a monster face on them. It's like there was so much makeup. I just don't know where the acting was. Uh, the acting was totally there. I thought, but anyway, um, I'm going to, I, I really want Troy to win. I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for Troy all the way. Me too. He's, this is a really, really tough category for me because any, any of these guys should win this award. Yeah. I have a feeling Cody even, even, even McPhee is going to win, but I'm, I'm, I voted for uh, Troy Kotzer in the SAG awards. Right. And even the guy in Belfast who uh, I didn't see, but I, I, I think he's, he was really great. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. love him though. I love him. He's, a, oh, he's, he's great. a phenomenal actor. He's great. Yeah. He was great in this. Uh, you'll, you'll see. Uh, all right. And then the uh, last one, actress in a supporting role, Jesse Buckley for the lost daughter, which I thought was a surprise. Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Judy Dench for Belfast, Kirsten Dunst for Power of the Dog, Anjanae Ellis for King Richard. 
I think it's it may be between Kirsten Dunst and Judy Dent <laughs> Judy Dench, who I didn't see in Belfast. <laughs> Now, I think here's the great thing. So I know that Belfast made your year's best list, even though you haven't seen it. To boldly pick an actor to win an Oscar based on a movie that you haven't seen, I, I just think that's that's golden. I think you should go with <laughs> Judy Dench. Well, I don't, she's never won an award, has she? Oh, yeah. She won Best uh, Supporting Actress oh, for she has. Okay. Shakespeare in Love. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, it's a tough one. I mean, Jesse Buckley was amazing. She was great. She, I'm vo- <laughs> in a movie you didn't see. I saw The Lost Daughter. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Yeah, we just talked to the producers. Oh, that's what true. do you think? That's I'm totally it's I'm to, it's total fakery. Uh no, I like Ariana DeBose. I thought she was awesome on West Side Story. Hmm. Okay. Just a hmm from you? She was good. She was good, but I I I I thought Kirsten Dunst was was phenomenal. Didn't get it. You didn't get the but movie, but you I didn't get the movie. But but you didn't think her performance was great. If I didn't get the movie, I didn't get the performance. I just didn't get the movie. By the way, uh, if but our but you said if that, our that booking executive Samantha is listening to the podcast, I I guess it's probably not right to pursue somebody from Power of the Dog after my <laughs> after my uh, review of it during this segment. Yeah, but she thought that the best supporting actor. Um, uh, I think he might win, Cody he Smith might McPhee, win. but I and, and he and he was he was incredible in yeah, that movie. Didn't get it. Didn't get it. You didn't get his performance. No, I didn't get the movie. I know you didn't get the. Movie. I didn't get the movie. Yeah, I. I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's great, and maybe I'll see him in something else, and I'll think, oh yeah, he's. I mean, I if you don't get the movie, you don't get the movie, right? So the performances in that context don't make sense. I I am rooting for Coda. I'm hoping like everybody in the, the Academy says, all right, so we've got 10 sad movies. Okay, let's pick one that's really life affirming. And there are the the category, the movies in that category that are life performing, uh, life affirming are Belfast, which you haven't seen. Coda, which absolutely is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, King Richard, which is an uplifting movie, and Licorice Pizza. Those are the those are the ones that aren't downers. So I'd right. like to see a non-downer movie win. Right, and unfortunately, Spider Man got snubbed. I know, sucks. I was on uh, with Alex Michelson on Channel Eleven Friday night. I gave another big shout out to Sp- if the Academy wants to see. Now they still can. Get Tom Holland to host the awards. That would still, that 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 would be good for the show. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's turned into just sort of this industry affair where uh, the 10 saddest movies in America get recognized. Uh, and uh, most people haven't seen any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, is there a hit in that group? West Side Story has done like 40. King Richard's done, I think, like 60 off the top of my head. Dune has done 100. Uh, so there are some movies in there that have done Belfast is expecting another ticket sold soon to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the numbers are not complete because you will go see the movie. Well, there's Coda, our, I mean, uh, how did Coda do? Coda, Coda do? Uh, well, it was streaming. It, it only oh, aired on right. Apple plus. So it never, right. I actually saw it in a theater qualified for a week. I saw it at the landmark in Westwood. Uh, was blown away. I watched it again a couple of weeks ago, but it's a, it's mostly a streaming movie. A lot of these movies, mostly streaming movies. Right. Uh, so uh, there you have it. There's our take on the Academy Awards, which is uh, always really fun. They are not until April. That's weird. They're usually in February, aren't they? Yeah. The, the SAG Awards are, I think they delayed it so that COVID simmers down and maybe they can put a bunch of stars in a room to be able to do it the right way. Right. Uh, the SAG Awards are February the 27th. Okay. Um, and those are the ones we get to. Did you vote on those yet? I did. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, all right. So our guests today are both great chefs. They competed on Top Chef and Iron Chef. Uh, they are restaurant owners, entrepreneurs, television hosts, and they cook a damn good meal. From their show Fast Foodies on True TV, Top Chef winner Jeremy Ford and Iron Chef winner Justin Sutherland join us. Jeremy, Justin, thank you so much for doing this. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So uh, it, it, we watched the show. We watched Fast Foodies on True TV. It's really fun. I, we'll we'll talk about that. I kind of wanted to start with where you got your love of food in the first place. Like what what made you want to be a chef? Uh, maybe start with you, Justin. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I grew up, it was, it was really following my grandmothers around the kitchen. Um, yeah, I got a multicultural background. I have a grandma from Japan. Uh, another grandma uh, with roots in Mississippi. So it was it was soul food and sushi growing up and just watching those women, uh, you know, through the kitchen just really made me fall in love with food because it was really their love language. And Jeremy, what about you? I mean, I just couldn't wait to peel shrimp for a couple of years, you know? It sounded so interesting. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I started out kind of similar, Justin, uh, to Justin, my grandmother, um, my, actually my, my mother had found her maternal grandmother on like a search to find her real parents. And we ended up finding her, uh, her mother who barely spoke any English. Wow. And so the only way we really communicated was through food and, um, the dinner, the dinner table. So she lived in California. Um, I went out there, I spent some time with her. When I came back, I was just hooked, man. Um, I was hooked on pasta and, um, everything Italian. Um, so, so that's kind of where it began. And then I remember watching Emerald live and just that guy's energy was so hilarious <laughs> and so fun, uh, that I was like, dude, I got to do what this guy does. You know, what, what are the first dishes that you made that you felt like, all right, I really got this down. <laughs> oh God. I, it was a strawberry salad. And I remember it being so sweet that I was just, <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> It was so bad, but it looked pretty. I mean, hey, plating. Uh, it's a plating. Right? <laughs> Sue used to be a uh, producer, one of the producers on Top Chef. So she kind of knows some of the inner workings of what went on. Jeremy, you, you won Top Chef, right? I did. I did season 13. And how hard is it as, because I've watched a lot of Top Chef over the years. How hard is it to get those ingredients and work really fast and create stuff. Um, and how long does it take to shoot a season? Are you guys like cooking constantly, all that kind of stuff? Oh, uh, I mean, for, for my season, it's, it's probably different than Justin's season because we, we traveled the whole season. Um, you know, we didn't get like a, a city. We were actually the state of California. So we were lucky enough to have the bounty of like Santa Barbara spot prawns and uni and so I feel like our season, we got super lucky with product. And that's kind of my strength is cooking with, with uh, product first and then kind of creating the, the food after. But see, you know, filming was over a month long, you know, um, it's, it's super, super hard. Most of us don't really watch uh, Top Chef after we've gone through it just because it's like uh, a PTSD. forever anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For a producer too. <laughs> I, I, I still can't even go into a whole foods. I haven't been to a whole Foods since top chef. I, I started like freaking out every time I see that sign. <laughs> so Justin, what dish, and I know you want iron chef, but you went out early on top chef, right? No, I was, oh, I was, he was there for a while. You were there. Okay. So I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> short you here, but do you, what, what dish did you go out on? Uh, I got it tattooed right here on my hand. I did a, uh, <laughs> I did a uh, yellowfin tuna two ways. And, you know, they always say never do a duo. But I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. And uh, it didn't make it. But uh, I still disagree with the outcome. <laughs> now, Iron Chef is like super high pressure, right? I mean, that's like crazy, um, super, you know, power, right? Energy. What? How do you compare the two? I mean, I, they're, they're incomparable. I mean, like Jeremy said, I mean, his season was a little over a month. I mean, mine was six weeks, then a break, then to China. Um, I mean, Iron Chef is, you know, you walk in, you find out a dish and you have to make five dishes in one hour. And it is, you know, a lot of the other shows we do have some TV magic and there's downtime and there's this and that. Uh, but Iron Chef, no, I mean, you walk in, they say, are you ready to go? And you don't really have a choice. <laughs> Timer starts and it happens. And I mean, it's literally... I mean, I don't even, I didn't remember it until I watched it. I literally blacked out. I rewatched it and I was like, oh my God, we did all of that in one hour. Like it's, it's insane. So I, I know I'm sure, you know, in my experience, I worked on season seven, eight and nine and, um, and I worked in post. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I, I was never there for the action, you know, part of it. Um, how many times had you gotten ingredients that you had never worked with and does it freak you out? 
Uh, I, I mean, I don't know exactly, but I think, I mean, a decent amount of times, especially like when we were in China for the, um, you know, for the finals, um, you know, but, you know, food's food. And I think as chefs, I mean, you have this kind of Rolodex of, of flavor profiles and what things, you know, taste like and should go together. And usually if you, you look at something, you taste something, you can at least find a method in which to use it. And, you know, when the pressure is not too high as chefs, sometimes that's, that's really fun. I think that's what we love about fast foodies is that we can play with crazy stuff that we normally wouldn't play with because, you know, the pressure is not that intense. So we get to have a little fun. See, that's what I what I love about the show so much, because I've worked on more serious, you know, related type of cooking shows, although I did work on Best Leftovers Ever, which, you know, had, <laughs> had a silliness to it. But what I love about your guys show is that this feels like what it would be like if you guys were actually in your own restaurant, just cooking with celebrities or cooking for friends. This is who you are and just having fun. And, and, and I really tip my hat to, to, you know, shed media and, and true the production company and, and true TV for allowing you guys to just be and, and not, and not take that away because that is to me is what's so much fun about watching the show. That's awesome. Yeah. I think then, you know, I can speak for probably all of us. I mean, that's, I think half the reason we, you know, we signed up to do this. We've all done the high pressure top chefs and chopped and iron chefs and just even working in restaurants. And when we heard the premise of the show, it was like, what? I can drink a beer and hang out with my friends and have some cool celebrities and just really cook with no pressure and no clock and no, you know, and just, I was like, that's sign me up. Yes. And it's dirty, you know, I mean, yep. you know, language isn't really an issue. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, and innuendo is not yep. an issue. We, don't, we don't have to censor ourselves. That's for sure. It's great. So Jeremy, do you enjoy that part of it? The, the being a personality kind of going beyond just, just being not, not just being, but being a chef. Yeah. I mean, uh, when you love this and it's your, you know, there's nothing else for me in life. Like this is, you know, every part of the, of the chef world, I, I, I get, I enjoy, man. Like, you know, the high pressure, the restaurant life, um, you know, but I, I try to keep like a, a good even keel, um, and stay healthy at the same time. Cause if you're not, man, if you're not careful, it's like, uh, you'll get consumed and, and uh, all of it. Right. So you have to keep a good mindset. And I think my, girls and my my daughters keep me in line with um you know still being a chef but also you know not forgetting where where i came from you know so i'm always very humbled and very very grateful to be uh, where i'm at and what i'm doing man and especially with justin and Kristen, like they are i've learned so much about more than just cooking um just just two great humans uh sharing their love of life and cooking with me has been great so you know restaurants come and go constantly and, uh, and some restaurants that are actually good. So what, it, what does it take to have a successful restaurant that has staying power? Oh, man. Um, you know, we're on, rest, we're on year almost number five, you know, and uh, a year of that going through the pandemic. So trust me, it was, we made a lot of adjustments. I think you, you can't be a stubborn chef where, you're, where your only uh, goal is one way. You have to think outside the box. I mean, we were doing tasting, uh, eight course tasting menus to go. So you learn, <laughs> you learn how to plate fine dining in a to go box. Um, and you just got to be creative. And I think you have to, you can't always have a wall up and say, no, that doesn't, that's not what we do because what we do is feed amazing human beings. And that's all we're doing. And that's our job. So it's to create a nutritious uh, meal for someone. So you got to be a little bit less stubborn these days. You got to be a little more open to, uh, to everything. I think to stay to stay in the game, you know? And that's, I think a lot of it has to do, you know, with, with, with your team and, and your people and the culture and environment that you cultivate at your restaurants. I mean, my, you know, my, I've had nine, 11 restaurants in my career, but my, you know, my first restaurant is the going on year seven. And that's, you know, mm. for everything I've opened past that first one is, you know, had its ups and downs. And every time I reflect back on, you know, why is handsome hog withstood all 11 other projects that I've, you know, that I've done. And I think it's just because of that, you know, that culture that has been cultivated there and the way we take care of our staff the way that reflects upon to our guests. So, you know, even when things are up and down or, you know, pandemics and the market changes and supply chain and this and all the things that we can't control, you know, the one things that you can control is, you know, is that environment and, and is the, you know, is the way that, that, that you are. So two things about cooking, and I watch a lot of these shows. Um, this is a pet peeve uh, that uh, when in doubt, create a hash, right? 
So <laughs> if you can't think of anything else to do with an ingredient, you turn it into a hash. So that's one thing. And then it seems like anybody who sous vide anything is totally screwed. Like people who <laughs> sous vide don't seem to advance in the game. What do you, what do you guys think? Uh, I, I think, I mean, I think it's, sous vide has its time and its place. I mean, and, you know, if you're doing, you know, high volume and you need perfection, you know, I, I, I'm not against it, but I am also just old school. I mean, we were cooking way before there were immersion circulators and nothing beats a, a cast iron skillet and some butter and, and some basting and cooking something per perfectly. And I think the reason people go home for things like that is because they're misusing it. Like it, it shouldn't be used as a shortcut. It should be used in a situation that it's necessary. And some people just like to try and, you know, just do something quicker, throw something in a bag and, and think it's going to achieve the, 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 the right outcome. And that's definitely not always the case. And what about the hash cop out, uh, Jeremy? Hey man, I love a good hash. So, uh, <laughs> so do not I. The kind, not the kind you smoke, Jeremy. We're talking about you know, <laughs> oh, potatoes. Oh, oh, that, that's where I was going. I like a good hash too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so the other, oh, like mixing stuff. Yeah. Um, my dad, my dad actually is the hash king, man. He, he does like a lot of stuff where he just throws the kitchen sink into a skillet and it comes out tasting good. He'll, He'll deglaze it with a little soy sauce and add some herbs in there. And I'm like, hell yeah, dude. You know, if the server over some rice, it's like, it's whatever you got in the fridge. Hash. Hash. Ash. So Ash. fast foodies, it's weird because the celebrities come on and I watched a few of them last night. I saw Baron Davis, who's a friend of mine. And I saw Nikki Glazer, who's just friggin' hilarious. Um, but you're basically creating stuff that's not good for you are you is that really it i mean the stuff at uh, at uh, like nachos bel grande i love a good nachos bel grande right from taco bell and i know that's what baron davis wanted but i know also that tacos bel grande is bad for me right it's not like a it's not like a healthy meal right right so is it weird to sort of set out to create something that people you know are eat when they're they're bingy or eat when they're stoned or eat when they're like Taco Bell is like total stoned food. I think that's, I mean, that's, I mean, Hey, we're not, we're not creating something. We're recreating something that already exists. So right. we're not taking the blame. That's on you, Taco Bell. <laughs> um, you know, and that's, I mean, that's the whole, <laughs> that's the whole premise of the show though. I mean, you know, this is all about guilty pleasures and, you know, things that things that we do when we're sitting on the couch stoned at night or when we're in a hurry or on a road trip or, you know, and, and Everybody has some sort of, you know, connection to that food, whether it's something they have once a year, once a month or every day. Um, you know, there's there's some sort of, of uh, nostalgia that comes with it, whether it's childhood or, or present day. And I think that's the biggest connection that, that we're bringing back. We're definitely not promoting Deet Nachos Belgrando every day, Belgrande every day. <laughs> but I do know there was a time in your college dorm room when you only had 99 cents and one joint and you were like, fuck it, I'm getting a Nacho <laughs> Belgrande. So that's, that's, where, that's what we're here for. <laughs> so, I mean, so at the level you guys are at, I mean, is there anything that you feel like you can't cook? Oh, man, there's tons of stuff I can't cook. I'm still learning... Uh, I'm still learning uh, Israeli food, I feel like, is a big gap in my game. Um, and, and I think that it's such a big, bold flavor profile to not have in your arsenal, right? So, um, yeah, I've been, I've been I, I think there's just so many cultural, amazing foods out there. I don't think, I'm sure Justin will agree, like, there's no way, like, in one lifetime, you can conquer it all. There's just no way. Like, you know, I've been cooking Italian and French for... 20 years and I'm still like dabbling and, and making mistakes. You know, I still, I served raw pancakes last week on fast foodies. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? I think we're still, we're all still learning here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you learn to use? Cause one of them I watched last night, it was chicken feet. Like I don't, you use chicken feet as like a thickener I, I to use, create a jam or what was it? Justin? Yeah, no, I, I used it. I used it in the broth. Um, but I mean, I use a lot of chicken feet. Um, I mean, they're used a lot in Southern cuisine. Um, and I mean, most, I mean, in most fine dining, I mean, French across the board, I mean, chicken feet hold the most collagen of, of anything. So if you're trying to really fortify a stock or you really want to make a nice uh, thick soup broth, um, you just boil the chicken feet in there and all that collagen comes out in. And that's how you get those, just that really thick mouthfeel 
on, you know, anything from a bowl of ramen to a consomme to uh, or anything. And then, you know, in a lot of Asian cuisines, uh, you know, they're braised, then fried, then even eaten whole. So uh, I use a lot of chicken feet. Um, and yeah, they, they have, they're very multi, multi-purpose, but the most, the most thing is just getting that collagen for really fortifying broths. How far into your career, cooking careers um, would you not have to look at a recipe? Because my husband used to be a chef, and um, so I don't really cook. And actually, he's a great to- cook, by the way. Je- yeah, her he, husband Tom is fantastic. And sometimes I'll go to make something, and I like just I have to look at the recipe, and he looks at me, and he'll t- take it and like toss it and say, "Just do it." by instinct. And I don't trust myself. I mean, I know baking is, is exact, but cooking is basically a feel. And just as a side sidebar, the, the big joke in my house is that I said to my husband one day, I, I want to go, we were talking about going on vacation. I said, I want to go someplace I've never been. And he said, why don't you try the kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, oh, but but, but my, my question is, at what point did you like just do it by instinct and and not have to look at a recipe. Is that something that came early on? For me, that's been, it's always been kind of a gift and a curse. I'm not a recipe guy whatsoever. Um, You know, I, you know, I make mistakes. I cook by feel. I take inspirations from other recipes and mix them together. That's why I don't bake. I don't have the, 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 the temperament or the patience or, uh, or the the high level of reading skills uh, to, to, <laughs> to do right. but I just I don't know. Like, you have to stop smoking so much pot. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. That's what I love about cooking, though, is just you know that. I mean, obviously, in a restaurant, you need things to be replicated and come across the same way every time. So I I leave the recipes to to my cooks. But when I'm cooking, I don't I don't touch them. Jeremy, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of in the middle. It depends on what I'm cooking, but I I mean, I I come from a camp uh, from John George here in New York, and his his camp and his style is very very uh, recipe forward. So we, I mean, at both restaurants, everything is grammed out. Um, and when I go into competition mode, it you know, if I'm doing like uh, something that's like a gel or something that has an exact uh, amount of agar or some kind of emulsifier. I like to use recipes um, to the gram just because I know exactly what it's going to give me. And, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes you don't have time for it, though. You don't have time to weigh it out. It really depends on how much time you have. You know, if you have the extra five minutes and you want to make sure that it's, it's going to be exactly what you produced six months ago, then we'll, then we'll use them. So I don't, I don't think there's any right or wrong uh, answer there. I think the old school chefs, you know, they're like, oh, it's all by hand. And then, some of the new school dudes believe in kind of running, you know, running things with, uh, you know, by the, by the gram. Um, so I think whatever you do to get a good piece of meat on a plate or a piece of fish, then do it. So I, I got, prep- I, go ahead, Sue. So I was going to ask you, just like in pref- preparation um, for going on Top Chef, I don't know how much time when you was between finding out that you were going to be on and then actually being on the show. Um, did you practice quick fiery type of cooking? before going on the show like having to quick something cook something that quick i, uh, I yeah. did yeah. Right, go ahead jeremy go ahead jeremy uh yeah uh for me i just memorized a lot of the ratios that's what i did like i remember you know before i left i set up a lot of like 15 minute 20 minute quick fire situations um, and I didn't really use uh formulas for that so like when we went into those 3 hour long cooks that's when I would be like, okay, my ratio for 300 grams of liquid was seven grams of agar. And like, I would remember those things. I just, I just would like, you know, uh, memorize them, but, but um, yeah, and top chef, it's all from the heart, <laughs> you know? Um, all right. So last thing for you, and I want Sue and, and me to participate in this too. What is the best meal that you've ever had? Not necessarily the one you cook, but the best meal you ever had. Uh, start with you, Justin. Oh, man. I was going to say, let me go last. Um, geez. I think it's just so ever-evolving for me. I, I travel so much. Um, I was just in Tulum a couple of weeks ago and ate, and ate at Kintao, and I thought I had had the best meal of my life before I ate there, and that's just absolutely blew me away. 
That's always a really tough question for me because I just I'm just like ever evolving with with my palate and I'm just blown away every time I go somewhere. Like every time I'm in Spain or Barcelona, I'm like, this is the best meal I've ever had. Yeah. And, and you know, then I'll end up somewhere else like this. So I I don't know. I just I love just I mean, you can taste someone's passion on a plate. And especially when I see new things that I haven't experienced before. And, you know, as somebody who travels a lot and cooks a lot, every time I see something I've never done or seen, I'm just blown away. And I just love experiencing other people's creativity and, and art. Jeremy, how about you? Uh, I'd have to give it to my mentor, uh, Greg Brain. And he's, uh, he's here in New York. He's the vice president of culinary for uh, John George. But, um, you know, answer it's very hard, like Justin said, but I think uh, when he put a bowl of arroz con pollo in front of my face, which I was very, very, I was thrown back by a French dude who nailed this like classic Mexican dish and he did his own chef spin to it. Right. Um, I remember eating the first bite of that rice and being like, that's probably one of the best bowls of chicken rice I've ever had. Um, and I think like, uh, when you underthink something and then you, and it's over delivered, that's magical. Um, so yeah, I think, that was one of my favorite moments of like being wowed, you know, favorite meal was, was there. Sue, what about you? Well, I have to give props to my husband. Um, yeah, you have to. Because if he listens to this podcast, <laughs> he'll be very pissed off. I have to give him props for his eggplant parmesan. His it's, eggplant parmesan pretty is stellar. fantastic. I, I've had Good. it. It's, it's amazing. Uh, so for me, it's uh, my grandmother, 1978, I'd say. She was at the peak of her powers, Rose Santa Cruz, peak of her powers in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And she did Feast of the Seven Fishes. And it included stuffed calamari, which I love to this day. So Rose Santa Cruz, Altoona, Pennsylvania, Sixth Avenue. She was the one that cooked the best meal that I've ever had. Love it. Nice. All right. Well, before we go. I have one question to ask you guys. What is it with chefs and tattoos? Mm. <laughs> We're aliens. I mean, aliens. You know, I think, I mean, for me, I think it becomes, it's really, I mean, A, there's always kind of this outlaw kind of edge, you know, chefs was never a glamorous career. I mean, especially like when it started, you know, back in Bourdain days and whatnot, and smoking cigarettes on the line and everybody was just kind of pirates. Um, but then it was also a way to, you know, to have some flair and, and be different. I mean, especially back in the, you know, chef white days, everybody's wearing the same thing. You're indistinguishable from the person next to you. And I think it, for me, it was just really a way to express yourself and, and show, you know, a part of, because otherwise we were just, you know, a bunch of people in white coats with hats that didn't think for ourselves. We just did whatever our chefs told us. So, you know, for, I think those are a couple of the ways, but there's always been this pirate air of, you know, to chef life. Jeremy, are you a pirate? Yeah, I mean, once you get the back of your hand tattooed, yeah, once, once your hands are tattooed, you're not, you're, <laughs> you got no other jobs. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's no. Uh, it's the. I mean, it's it's a career where you can you can be whoever you want to be, man. And um, you know, we never have to go to a job interview and worry about it again. I don't think Justin and I will ever have to go and like sit in front of someone and and, and plead for a job. So I think we're uh, we can pretty much do whatever the hell we want with our body. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, you know, I, I remember years ago, I would, you know, when, when tattoos be, start to become very popular, I would see somebody who was completely tatted up. And I was like, I can't imagine this person actually getting a job at a certain, you know, <laughs> right. a, at a certain place, you know, it's like you go into like, you know, you're, you're like an accountant's office and you see them with like a sleeve, tattoo, <laughs> you know, but it, it, it's just, it's, it's culture and it, it's our life, you know? So I, I don't think that there's, you know, anything, um, negative about it uh, years ago for sure yeah so uh, do, do you have any ink i actually have two tattoos and um they're in places where you you can't see them so yeah, unless I've i wore less like if i wore a bathing suit yeah. so when i was 19 years old i was living with my parents down in florida and i had gotten a tattoo and i'm jewish so that's like a no-no oh, in the jewish yeah. religion <laughs> really bad yeah and my i didn't want my father to see it and i'm outside by the pool and i, I have a tattoo on my back and it's small and I, I kept on walking backwards. Whenever I was like near him, I would just walk backwards. And then he caught sight of it. And he said, what is that? Is that dirt? And I said, well, it's kind of permanent. 
is permanent dirt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I actually didn't react the way I thought he would. But um, I got yes. one for my 50th birthday. And I keep thinking, you know, it looks really lonely. The tattoo looks very lonely. And I always think, okay, I'm going to add one, add one more. I think that's how it happens. I'm just going to add slippery one slope, more. Steve. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, a slippery exactly. slope. Next thing you know, full sleeve and you're working in a kitchen. Exactly. <laughs> um, listen, uh, Justin, Jeremy, this, is, this has been great. The f- show is called Fast Foodies. It's season two right now. It is, it's not just your average cooking show. It's really funny. It's really smart. It's really personality driven. Both you guys and, uh, and Kristen and, and the celebrities that you bring on. Uh, it's a really, really fun show. One that I will continue to watch, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you, brother. Sue, Steve, thank you so much. That was really cool. I've always wondered what goes on behind those chef shows. They look so hard to me. Uh, and uh, to have two guys who who won is cool. And you, you worked behind the scenes on all this stuff. You were a producer on Top Chef. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, and... Yeah, like I was in charge of of uh, post basically. But you never got to deal with directly with with Tom Colicchio or Padma or any. Oh no, I mean I I inter I did some interviews with some chefs. Uh huh. Um, but I was never there for the actual shoots. But I got to meet um Tom and Padma and and actually a lot of the VO that that Padma does on the show. I was in charge of that too. Oh, okay. So, so I would, um, you know, we would do it over the phone. We would, this was before Zoom right, or anything right. like that. So I got to kind of, you know, cultivate a relationship with her that way. And then, you know, we were nominated for Emmys a couple of times. So I got to hang out with them. I actually sat at the, the dinner after the Emmys. I really? sat with Tom. Oh, that's and, cool. And, and got that's to cool. know him a little bit. By the way, fun. your husband, Tom, is a legit real deal chef. Has he ever thought about going on one of these shows? He doesn't think that it's his thing. He really, thinks, yeah. He he said that you know, just the whole competitiony thing, not for him. Not for him. Yeah, and look, he'd be I don't, great. I, and and I don't think it, it's for everybody. I actually have a friend that I grew up with that uh, is an amazing chef. Has a restaurant in New Jersey called Ruthie's, and uh, and he's a blues guitarist. I mean, he's an incredible musician, and. Um, and I contacted him when I was working on Top Chef. And he's, you know, he's a handsome guy, you know. He's got a he's got a great backstory. And he said, I'm not like living in a house with people and being away from my family. Right. right. Uh, he said, you know, it really takes a a certain type of person, you know, to uh to dive into something like that. And he just wasn't interested. Yeah, yeah. So uh, okay, so we, we gotta I gotta follow up. Tattoos. <laughs> Describe describe your tattoos where they are as long as that's decent and uh, sure. I have what are uh, they? my first tattoo is on my uh, left um, shoulder and it is um, a bird. I don't now, know why it, why that did that mean something to you? It didn't. I went into the tattoo parlor. I was with a friend <laughs> of mine. I wanted to get a tattoo. I saw the tattoos that they you know featured. And I said, I'll get that one. And um, you just and then, chose off a menu. <laughs> basically, chose I'll, take off. The, I'll take the bird. I, I, I didn't go off the menu. Yes. <laughs> um, and then years later, what happened was the tattoo that I have on my back, it, it didn't heal properly. Okay. So, I, you know, what happens is it, 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 it scabs. And then when the scab comes off, that's when all the vibrant color appears. Right. And mine didn't heal properly. And I think it's probably because they didn't really tell me how to take care of it. So yours um, is not like bright colors and all it's that. It's not. It's not. And I and I really don't like it. Yeah. So then years later, I wanted to get one that I really like. So um, kind of like, you know, like below, like my abdomen, um, I have a tattoo of a of a blue rose, and that color has, you know, I think I got it touched up once, um, and that one I really like. And what's the meaning? Oh. It was on the wall. <laughs> I have the number three. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll have a side of a rose, please. So I got one. I got mine when I was 50. It's on my, it's on my chest. Mm-hmm. Oh, what is that? It is, uh, it's an ohm sign combined with Ganesh, who's the, uh, the elephant God, the remover of obstacles. 
Wow. Uh, in Hindu, uh, in the Hindu religion. So that's what, uh, that's what I got. Hmm. And I'm probably, and I do think I'd like to add one more. I was thinking about adding one more after the Super Bowl. And what would that be? Uh, it's, uh, Hanuman, who's the monkey God in the Hindu religion, wow. who is, uh, who stands for strength and courage. Hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of the Hindu thing on my chest is a thing. And it hurt, didn't it? Oh, it hurt like hell. I know. And I've a, talked to people and they're like, oh, it really didn't hurt. And I was like, what do you mean it didn't hurt? Oh, it hurt like hell. It was so painful. So I went with uh, John Ireland's wife to get the tattoo. Why, why, did, why did you go with Lisa? Uh, it just so happened that we were both thinking tattoo at the same time. Mm -hmm. So uh, we went together and John was there too. And Lisa got a tattoo of a dragonfly, unlike her toe. Oh, and like she said, it didn't hurt at all. Meanwhile, I've got a guy carving up my chest. Yeah. I'm like, no, Lisa, I did not get my toe done. This is like hardcore. It's lucky that I was stoned because I wouldn't have been able to get through it had I not been stoned. Well, they probably didn't know you were stoned because from what I was, I mean, who knows what it, what it is these days. But I remember years ago. Um, they wouldn't let people do it when they're stoned? Well, well, I don't even know, know if they would know if they like smoke pot, but, you know, um, but if like you came in and like you had had some drinks, you know, they because they looked at it as like you are maybe making a mistake. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I am very happy with mine. Very okay. happy with mine. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, there you have it. There is the Culture Pop podcast for today. A lot of fun, Sue. Mm hmm. And we will see everybody. Oh, don't forget to subscribe. Uh, we appreciate that on Apple or on Spotify. You can do that, by the way, really easy. If you go to stevemason.com, we archive all the podcasts. And there's a button to subscribe either on Apple or Spotify. And, of course, leave us a rating and a review. We always appreciate that. Uh, we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.